The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. And that number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. So today's show is all about growing pains. While in addiction recovery, it's not uncommon to learn that some of our unhelpful behaviors and thought patterns seem to be set in concrete, we can change those. And so fortunately, once we're a few steps down this recovery path, we become prepared to make different choices. But exactly how do we let go of our old ways and move into a new life of freedom and joy? This is what we're going to talk about today as we walk with you into your new life, sharing real-world experience, strength, and hope as we go. So we'll begin as we do each week by sharing our own experiences of our shortcomings or our less-than-helpful behaviors, we'll say, and then move into the solution, sharing what it means to ask a higher power to remove them. And then after the break, we'll share exactly how we became willing, asked for help, and moved into a new life of freedom and joy. So what are we talking about when we're talking about these uh, shortcomings and these less than helpful behaviors? Well, I know for me, um, you know, in the in the beginning and early on the recovery path, there so much was changing and it was just so disorienting that I, I really had to kind of operate on faith. I mean, I, I'm not sure that I could have articulated uh, which of my own uh, habits of, of behavior, if you will, um, had contributed to finding myself on a recovery path, um, you know, let alone been able to take responsibility for them. And so I just had to uh, keep showing up and basically operating on on a faith of sorts that if, you know, if I landed myself here somehow, maybe there was something going on that I might want to take a look at and maybe these people around me know something about it. So I felt like I was kind of flying blind at first. 
You know, I think that that's just a, a real critical component of any type of a recovery path, a spiritual path, a, a growing up path of any kind is to become aware of what it is we're doing and how we're affecting other people, but mostly what it is that that we're doing. I think the human being operates on autopilot um, as a way of simplifying our environment and simplifying our decision-making processes. And I know for me, an awful lot of those were based on enculturation. This is the way my family did it. This is what I grew up believing. This is the way I think the world should work. And when I got into the program, I started to learn that that was not always true. And in fact, many, many ways, this is the way that I created the problems that I had in my life was by these thinking patterns and then acting on that thinking. And so for me, awareness is is a huge piece of this, both to find out what is the error thought, if you will, what is the, the stinking thinking, and then to figure out, um, you know, what's next, whether whether I'm aware that I ever had it or whether I'm aware I'm doing it again. You know, awareness is key. And I found, and, and you know, I'll often talk, and if, if your listeners have listened previously, uh, I'm going to say it again, I learned a tremendous amount from others in the community, and even when I didn't realize that I was learning, and simply by being willing to be part of the community, um, I found that, uh, you know, my eyes open slowly. Now, I, I have to uh, note and remember what we're really talking about now, uh, letting go of our old ways and moving into a new life of freedom and joy is step six and seven, not step one. So I got to be around for a while and work uh, with others for a while before it became time to look at this. But, um, you know, I think just just showing up, just being willing to show up and be a part of what was going on uh, was super helpful for me uh, to become more aware of uh, what there might be about my own self that would that, that I would need to be looking at. You know, one of the things that I really did not like was when somebody told me, if you spot it, you've got it. <laughs> and, you know, I had this long list of, of um, character defects is what they're called in a 12-step program. And you might call them error thinking or bad behavior otherwise. But um, I had this long list of, of uh, ways that I showed up in the world that were not um, – they were not helpful to others. They were not uh, particularly flattering to me. They they made a mess of my life and my relationships. And so to be told that if I'm being critical and judgmental of somebody else because of however they're showing up in the world, I've probably got some element of that present within myself. And so I was very slowly taught to turn that around and go, Where, how is that showing up in me? Where is that showing up in me? Yeah, I've also found that helpful. I'm not sure if it's strictly true, but what I do know is true about that concept that you're sharing, that if you spot it, you got it. What is true about that is it, it represents an opportunity for me to look and see, you know, is there something about my own self that uh, resonates with what I'm seeing or not? And maybe there is, and maybe there isn't, and maybe it's time to look at it if there is, or maybe it isn't time to look at it. I've, I've heard these things also called, um, and this is a little more flattering, you know, it, it's hard to acknowledge that uh, we have these old ways or these unhelpful ways of of being, uh, let's call them unskillful uses of mind. Doesn't that, that almost sounds regal, <laughs> unskillful uses of mind. So I had many, you know, un unskillful ways that I, that I used my mind in ways that I showed up in the world. I also know that 
And this is related. I talked about the importance of the community for me, but particularly um, a sponsor. You know, I I was uh, I had the wherewithal to follow the directions, so to speak, and to uh, do what other people were saying worked for them when I got into recovery. And one of those things was to find a sponsor and to work the steps with that sponsor. And I did that. And uh, that was super helpful because then it's not just um, a, a room of people, which is great also, is also a particular person that is taking the time to get to know me and vice versa and to understand, um, you know, what, what my life is about and I can understand what their life is about. And that kind of mirror uh, that we have in another person that's, that's really cares about what we're doing and paying attention to us, um, I found that very, a very helpful way to begin to see some of these unskillful uses of mind. For me, it was critical to have outside input, to have this mirror, this reflection that you talk about. Um, you know, I, I knew that I had some challenges. I knew that I wanted to change. Um, I had, could hear in meetings about other people um, the challenges they had that were similar and what they did to address those things, but I didn't know what to do different necessarily. And having somebody say, you know, you're talking about manipulation. There it is again. It just showed up again. You know, you're, you're saying things in a way to make somebody feel guilty in the hopes that you get something out of this transaction. For example, things of that nature. I couldn't see it when it was right under my own nose, but when I when I engaged in that type of behavior in front of somebody that knew what was on my list, <laughs> you know, they, they call me out on it. And yeah. so then I got to the point where I would, I would uh, say, well, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I want to say or do. What do you think? You know, I would, I would seek some input because I had been, one of the things on my list was self-sufficiency. I don't want to ask anybody for help to do yes. any, any time, any way for any reason. Yep. You know, I am my own person. I can figure this out. And I figured it out all the way into the doors of a 12-step program. <laughs> and, and I have that too, very much so. This sort of, uh, you know, and, and fortunately this is past tense now. I had a fairly significant unwillingness to depend on other people uh, for much at all. And, um, you know, that was something that changed slowly. You know, that was a little... Uh, challenging for me, a little difficult, a little painful um, to walk through. Um, and again, you know, that's where the community was very helpful. That's where my sponsor was helpful. That's where just showing up each day uh, was helpful so that I could kind of you know, become aware of these behaviors that I had that were contributing to, uh, you know, what, what my way of being or what led me into a, a recovery program. And then through awareness, like we opened up with, awareness is key. Uh, when I become aware, then maybe I have a chance to take it. I hear, I've heard people a lot uh, say the phrase, you know, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And I remember early on thinking, well, I know I'm right, so I just need to add happy to this and everything will be fine. And then I had a friend that said, uh, being right makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> What a great way to stay stuck in that kind of thinking. Uh, oh, man, I love you. Got, you got to laugh. If we can't laugh at ourselves uh, on this path, we can't laugh at the fact that we somehow managed to uh, get ourselves in a 12-step program, then, man, I don't know. I think I've got to be able to laugh or this would not work. 
Oh, absolutely. And you know, something else that was key for me to understand, I would be doing fine as long as I could stay in my head and be intellectual about it and calculated about my behavior and my thinking and my action. Of course, I wasn't changing inside. I was only changing the outside, just like when you stop drinking and drug and just change the outside, everything will be fine, right? Mm -hmm. You know, well, the tornado does not subside. It just goes inside. And so um, I would be doing well with whichever character problem I was working on. And then all of a sudden it would just explode all over everything. I did not understand what was going on. And um, in the seventh step, it talks about how fear triggers character defects. And so I had to work on that a long time because fear is a pattern of thinking. It's a pattern of thinking for me. It's a pattern of projection into the future and using my power of imagination to make up all kinds of terrible things that could happen. And I lived there. And so that was um, that was a piece of getting the character defects under control was to avoid being triggered by fear. In other words, stay out of fear. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. I think that's absolutely right. And that was, you know, that's another one of those things where when I first came in, uh, to, to a recovery program, I really had no concept of the degree to which that was true about me. And it took time, uh, in the program time being around people who were in recovery, uh, to begin to see. And once again, when we were talking about awareness to begin to have awareness of the whole variety, the whole laundry list of fears that I experienced in life. And yeah, all, all these bad behaviors are certainly uh, responses to being afraid of something in some way or other. So now that we know all about this challenge of living with these shortcomings in our old ways and how they hold us back and how they mess up relationships and in general make a mess of our lives, what's the solution? In unity, we affirm that God is good and that we are made in the image and likeness of God. In fact, this is the message of our second unity principle, which states our essence is of God. Therefore, we are inherently good. This God essence was fully expressed in Jesus the Christ. And what this means is that our shortcomings do not define us, but are rather just unhelpful behaviors that can change. And they change when we become first willing for them to change. And second, when we ask for divine assistance. And so doing that is what allows our essential goodness to come through, which is what we want to focus on today. So what does becoming willing to change and asking for divine assistance look like exactly? It seems kind of abstract. What does that mean? Well, you know, behind every one of the 12 steps and many, many, many of the unity uh, tools are spiritual principles. And the spiritual principle behind step six is willingness, and the one behind step seven is humility. And so, you know, I always thought I was willing, but I thought I had to be 100% willing before I could do anything. And, um, you know, for me, willingness comes down to I make a, a different decision, a new decision, try it anyway. I have to take some action. I can't just think about it. Thinking about it is not being willing. Uh, the proof is in the pudding, if you will. It's in taking the step. It's in in jumping off the cliff. You know, that's where I prove my willingness. And so I had to work on that. And I finally started making progress in, in what I was working on when I realized I only had to be 51% willing <laughs> and only for that moment in time. I don't have to like it. I don't have to want to do it. I don't have to believe it's going to work. I don't even have to think that you're telling me the truth. All I have to do is try it. Yeah, I like that. And I know for me that um, it's also not about thinking. 
this whole recovery is an abstract concept, you know, but becoming willing, that's not like putting on a different colored shirt, right? Or a different pair of shoes. I can't see it from the outside and others. I mean, what does it look like to become willing? And I know for me that all of this evolved slowly over time and that a key to it, I mean, you just shared about simply needing to be 51% willing. Um, I found that, and maybe this is the way that, uh, you know, some, something less than a hundred percent willingness showed up in me. I just had to be willing to show up and that uh, change seemingly would just happen. You know, if I was willing to make the phone call, talk to the friend, uh, go to the meeting, um, read the literature or whatever it was that was right in front of me, always a very simple thing. If I was just willing to, you know, as we say, suit up and show up, then seemingly the shift uh, began to happen and would continue to happen on its own. And so, yeah, I was also willing enough, even if that willingness just meant uh, willing to show up the next day, willing to show up each time, or as we say, one day at a time. And you make a really good point because by noticing our behavior, by showing up, by becoming aware, things do start to change almost automatically. And that leads right into the principle of the seventh step, which is humility. And the very first definition of humility that I was taught was being teachable, becoming teachable. And if I am willing to show up and listen, I am to some degree teachable because I'm going to hear a new idea. I'm going to hear a new approach that, that somebody had to a particular problem. I'm going to going to get a different different way to to think about something. And so uh, becoming teachable was critical. And it kind of goes hand in hand with willingness. And we've talked about this before uh, with the honesty, open-minded willingness piece. You know, it, it fits right in there. I'm teachable when I am those three things. I think that's critical that um, and that humility aspect is another thing that, you know, awareness grew over time, uh, just the shifts in my behavior to where I could um, say that, well, maybe I was, um, you know, living more, exuding more, if you will, of that uh, principle. I, I thought of it as uh, the idea that that knowing or really realizing that no nobody is any better than anybody else, and that you know we have in the world, and I know I do lots of ways to um, construct a way that puts some people above other people, but really uh, when I when I realize and know that inherently you know everybody has value, everybody deserves to have a good life. Everybody has uh, things to contribute that are helpful to others, that we're all uh, in this together. Um, that's what can allow me just to show up and be, as we say, one of the bunch and not have to feel like, well, you know, I need to look good or I need to be better at something or, you know, if this is all about what I can do. Uh, it's not about those things. It's just about showing up and being in community, being one of the bunch and um, letting, really letting our higher power sort of take it from there. You know, when I say that change just seemingly has hap happens on its own, uh, I, I've got to be careful to to do my part and to not try and force things and then just to let those changes unfold, which to me, you know, is the action of higher power, action of God in life. 
And you know, that reminds me of, of a, another, something I heard in a meeting that was so helpful to me. And this person was talking about step seven and they were talking about having a clear recognition and who and what they are, neither larger than, which is the overblown, overconfident, overzealous ego, nor less than, which is what so many people crawl in with, you know, they say they crawl in, crawled in under the door, you know, they have such a low self-esteem at that point in time. But what helped me was when this person said anything that separates me from another person separates me from God. And I, and I thought, wow, because that, that put my thinking in a different realm. If I am being judgmental, I am making a separation. If I'm being manipulative, I'm making a separation. If I'm being controlling, I'm making a separation. And so that helped me um, kind of span that gap, if you will. Yeah, I like that. And I, I, I had had a teacher say to me, it's been some years ago, that shyness is an ego trip. And when I first heard that, I thought, that sounds outrageous. How can shyness be an ego trip. Well, shyness is just uh, me doing that, separating myself from others. It's just saying, well, you know, what I have to say is less important than that, or you people can't handle what I have to say, so I'm going to keep it to myself. You know, it could be any number of reasons that I would be unwilling to show up uh, and be present uh, with a group of people. So I came to understand, yeah, I, I get that. Shyness is an ego trip in a way, e even if it feels like sort of the, the opposite of that. Uh, it's the it's the other side of the same coin. Um, I found when we talk about willingness that, you know, what the gift of desperation helped me a great deal to become willing to ask for help. And asking for help was one of the things I needed to become most willing to do. That was, as we were sharing, uh, I think it's fairly common amongst us, um, that sort of fierce independence, like, leave me alone, I can do this myself. Um, I had to become willing to allow other people to get to know me and to um, become willing to ask for help, basically, you know, from, from others, whether it be um, a higher power or just uh, friends in the recovery program or a sponsor. And, you know, for step six, my tools were, uh, there, there's a, a line in the literature, it's the very first line in, in one of the chapters that says, this is the step that separates the men from the boys. And I interpret that as, am I going to make a childish decision or am I going to make a mature decision here? Am I going to base it on feelings? Am I going to base it on facts? And so that helped me immensely to um, have a tool to decide, am I going to am I going to base um, my decision here on principles that I'm learning about, like honesty, open-minded, willingness, faith, uh, trust, courage, integrity, etc., or am I going to go? Well, I don't feel like it, you know, and do whatever I've always done, and and so that led into a place where I realized what a cycle I was caught in because I would want to do something different, but I'd fall into the same trap in the same hole. I would, I would uh, have the same thinking patterns, which would arrive at the same conclusion, which of course we know is the definition of insanity, expecting different results, but doing the same thing over and over again. And so, you know, having, pulling some tools out to go, okay, wait a minute. Now, am I going to make a decision based on self or am I going to make a decision based on principle? That was useful for me. You know, I'm thinking about just this whole concept of letting go and how true it is, or it has been for me, that this whole uh, spiritual growth thing is more than anything a matter of letting go. And here, that's what we're talking about today, letting go of our old ways so that we can make room 
uh, for new ways of being, which is going to, of course, change our lives in, in wonderful ways. But there is a phrase that I've heard that I really love that I'll share. I had first seen it on a bumper sticker at the first Unity Church that I went to, and I didn't know where it came from. Uh, for all I knew, the minister of my church had said it, but I found that it was someone else quite a long time ago. And, and what it says is, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. And I, when I saw that, I thought that, you know, not it's funny. I think it's funny. I think it's a little bit silly, but I also find it profound. It's like, what, what is it that's weighing me down? You know, what am I not taking lightly about myself and my life? What can I let go of? You know, what's so heavy? What fears or concerns or what have you that is keeping me from, quote, you know, flying uh, in life um, like an angel can? Angels take themselves lightly. I've really taken that to heart and tried to remember that, um, you know, letting go of, of what's weighing me down is always a good thing to do. And you know, uh, Charles Fillmore, one of our co-founders of the Unity Movement, kind of references that when he talks about the quickening of the spirit. He said, and that's the awareness piece. And when we start becoming aware and awakening, a spiritual awakening, that it releases us from limiting thoughts. Now, we have work to do around that, but I, that's kind of what I hear you saying and taking myself lightly is I've got to let go of some of these heavy thoughts that I have, some of the, the way that I take... Uh, uh, responsibility for the world or for other people or for things beyond my control. And, you know, those were some patterns I had to change, some some uh, thinking patterns. And, um, you know, he goes on and he talks about error thought, which translated to 12-step language is stinking thinking. Yes. You know, it is based on um, human experiences, emotions, uh, instincts. It's it's the instincts out of balance that we talked about in, an, in a previous show. And to to understand where my decision-making capacity is coming from and then how I'm exercising it was helpful. Um, I couldn't recognize the stinking thinking to start with. Somebody else would go, oh, uh, you might want to check that. you know. Um, but today I'm a much better at it. And if I have it, I try not to act on it, you know, which keeps me out of those messes. Yeah, I think this is a great example, and there are many examples like this, but a great example of um, where unity principles and 12-step principles really overlap and line up very well. Uh, just like you're saying, you know, the, the, uh, the Fillmore's, the unity co-founders, and that concept, that, that core concept that says that, you know, it's, it's our thoughts held in mind and, and the content of our uh, repeated thoughts that um, dictate what it is our life's going to look like on the outside. And so if we are uh, aiming to have a different experience in the world, then what we need to be doing is looking at what are the thoughts that we're carrying, you know, what's, what's running through our heads, and what can we let go of if we're willing to see changes. And that was one of the things I had to focus on is where this, was that insanity showing up? Because this time it'll be different, and it never was. Yes. So on that note, we're getting really close to time for a short break. And so when we come back, we'll open the phone lines for callers and we'll continue our conversation. The number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. Discover the power within. 
Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Indian saint and mystic Kabir is quoted as saying, One drop of divine love can turn you to gold. Immerse yourself in the work of Kabir with acclaimed poet, author, and spiritual teacher Andrew Harvey in his book, Turn Me to Gold, 108 Poems of Kabir. Andrew shares the powerful and timeless words of Kabir in a way that is accessible to all with beautiful photography by Brett Hurd. This is a book you will turn to again and again. Available now at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Know Yourself as Divine, Stations of the Cosmic Christ. A new book from Matthew Fox and Bishop Mark Andrus introduce a spiritual practice designed to help you realize the divine within. Combining prayer and an interpretation of the Stations of the Cross, featuring beautiful imagery, you will be led on a process of transformation. This book will help you discover the most caring, courageous, and compassionate parts of yourself. Get your copy today at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Well, welcome back to Spirit of Recovery, and this is the second half of the show. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We're going to resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to let you know that we're opening the lines to callers. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816 816- 
816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So just prior to the, the break, we were discussing, actually, we, did, we covered a whole range of topics, but we were talking about error thought, and we were talking about how that drives our behavior and how we found our particular patterns uh, through awareness. And now the question is, what do we do? How, now that we know that this challenge, many challenges, these shortcomings in our old ways can hold us back, and that the solution is to become willing and change by asking for divine assistance, how exactly has that, has doing that, led to a new life of freedom and joy? Well, it, it seems like a difficult task, and it's been a long road, but there's a poem that uh, we want to share that I, Lonnie, remember learning about from you that I think captures this process so well. So I'm hoping you'll share it now with our listeners. Oh, absolutely. The poem's name is Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It still takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. And it still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. And chapter five, I walk down a different street. I think that last line is what it's all about that we're talking about today, getting to the place where we're walking down a different street. Not not only are we not uh, falling in the hole, so to speak, inadvertently or sort of half knowing or scooching our way around it, it's not even there anymore because we're choosing a different way of being. And again, this, you know, I keep coming back to the way that this has worked in my life is um, more than anything, the willingness to show up uh, has been what has opened all of the other doors. And even if I didn't know why I was showing up, and and when I say showing up, you know, in recovery context, of course, I mean, um, you know, making the phone call to a recovery friend, um, reading the literature that I've been asked to read or that I'm interested in reading, uh, meeting with my sponsor and talking about whatever uh, step that we're, is that we're working, uh, showing up at a, at a meeting that I've committed to being at, all of those kinds of ways uh, of just showing up is, is really, if you ask, well, what did I do? That's, the only, that's practically the only thing that I did was to show up and then see what other opportunities might have come um, out of that, but it had to be that simple for me, and and really, in a, in a sense, that it still is that way. Even though I'm many years into this, and you know, pastoring a church and all that, I'm still showing up, showing up to write uh, the message for the coming Sunday, showing up um, at church to be there with people or whatever it might be. That's what's worked for me. And you know, that continues to work. And there's a slogan in the in the program that says suit up and show up. Mm 
mm-hmm. when you don't know what else to do, you suit up and show up. And I think that it opens all the doors, you know, and in unity context, what does that look like? Well, that looks like go to classes. That looks like practice the principles that you're learning, that, that identify the, the, the 12 powers or whichever ones are operative at that moment in, in your life and in the, in the, the principle that is needing to be uh, brought to the forefront, you know, your affirmations and denials. There's all these tools that by suiting up and showing up, we become exposed to and we learn about and we and those are the things that start start changing our life and you know that poem was so powerful f- to me for for two reasons for one it described exactly what my experience was i knew i had this problem i fell in a hole i knew i had this problem i tried tried to anticipate it it came out of me from a different direction i fell in the <laughs> hole you know i still knew i had this problem and i was looking for it from those two directions i knew about and the third time i fell in i go dang i should have seen that coming you know because it was the third time it gave me permission to fail three times instead of giving up you know that okay i didn't get it this time but that's the second time that's happened and and i have found that that's pretty much my learning curve i have to first become aware of it and then i have to experience it and then i have to see it coming and i can avoid it and that's all on a uh, experiential human level that's not on an intuition knowing spiritual understanding or any of that kind of level but that's where i was at this point in time yeah, it, it reminds me in that same aspect, you talk about it kind of gives you permission to fall in three times. Uh, that reminds me that that all this happens uh, very slowly. Um, you know, I remember having some impatience at the beginning, uh, you know, wondering where is this going? What, what's going to change? What is this going to be like? And then just sort of settling into new habits and new ways of being and showing up like I was sharing. And what I have seen is that, you know, anything that I've learned or let go of um, has happened very slowly and it's taken time. And uh, it's, it's never been anything I can rush. And I appreciate that about this poem because it is saying, you know, you don't just fall in once and then you learn end of, end of story. Um, there's a process and it happens over time and slowly things get better. And that's how I've found it to be. And that's one reason that I think this poem is so beautiful because it so to me so accurately reflects what the spiritual growth process is like, you know, whether it's in the context of addiction recovery or not. Uh, it's the same pattern, and it it gives me um, it, it gives me a lot of confidence. It it makes me feel good about being on this path. Like right, okay, so it's not supposed to be fast. This is this is how it works. And so if I'm falling down for the third time, that nothing that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong, right? And and what's it's it's what's that? It's been said. I had a friend that wrote a song about it. Um, Oh, stand up eight. You know, you fall down seven times, you stand up eight times, and and that's what matters. And that reminds me of the slogan, progress, not perfection. You know, and and people like me that didn't want to ask anybody for help and wanted to be right all the time and wanted to be captain of my own soul, that type of thing. You know, um, perfection was something I wanted to believe I already had or that I could attain, either one. And this process... Um, really proved to me that all actually all of it is a process. I'm not sure there is a there, you know, to get there. <laughs> you know that at least at least in my experience, there's always more, and and that's the beautiful thing about it to me as well because I don't get, I get this done and go okay now what, you know I'm done with that. Um, you know there's always 
always room for growth and room for more. You know, so so one of the things that I have found in in my experience is that step six and seven are daily life. They are, oops, there it is again. What am I going to do about it? I have the opportunity based on information I have or new information I've just received to make a different decision. That's the, that's the power of will. How am I going to exercise that? How skillful am I going to be in exercising that power of will? And then the second piece of that, step seven, is if this is not something I can change by myself, can, I, can my higher power help me with this? Uh, sometimes my higher power shows up through other people. Sometimes it shows up through circumstances. Sometimes it shows up by the way I apply a principle, a spiritual principle. But I have to lean on my higher power, my whatever my understanding is of my higher power, for assistance in changing my path to making this choice. Yeah, I, you know, I, I had uh, that very same experience that this is not something I could just go and do right and be done that that it is a, a matter of unfolding and i agree i i really don't think that it ever changes and in a way i don't want it to end um because the joy in all of this is being on the path you know we have that saying it's it's not the destination it's the journey uh, i find that to be absolutely true um in recovery which is the same as in life itself this reminds me of have you ever read a book that you love so much that you were sad when the book ended when you got to the end of the book i've read books like that and i want you know i wish i could uh sort of do have that experience all over again like some magically forget everything i ever knew about the book so that i could begin again and in a way our life is like a wonderful book that doesn't end you know there's always another amazing chapter that that comes after it and and what a joy that is so i'm i'm kind of glad that it's not a one and done or something to to get done and be done with i don't you know i don't want to be done this we're, what we're talking about is life you know we're talking about living and uh, living in a way that's joyful and free. And why would I want less of that? I want more of that. I want this book to keep going. And you know, that's, that's interesting. That's, the, that's actually the segue how I arrived at Unity was because I was in this cycle of step six, seven, six, seven, and I was stuck in depression because I was like, well, I've been there, done that. I got that fixed. You know, what else is new? What's more? You know, what does more look like? And I could not find more within the 12-step program for whatever reason, that it did not seem to uh, speak to me in that way. And then I was introduced to Unity Principles, and a whole new world opened up to me. And that, and that was the second major switch, you know, change in my life. And so, you know, the Unity tools, like the, the second principle that we talked about, that I am not my mistakes. You know, I am, a, I am an image, in, made in the image and likeness of, of the divine. And there's a spark of that divinity within me. And my job in this whole process of this, six, seven, four, five, et cetera, step work is to uncover that divinity that's been buried by circumstances and behavior and bad attitudes and thinking errors and, you know, things of that nature. You know, talking about the, the unity tools, one thing that I found super helpful because I did, I did find unity before I found myself in a 12 step program. So I, I came in with some, um, principles and concepts. Now, I wasn't that serious about my spiritual growth before I got in a 12-step program, but, you know, I was familiar with some tools, and one of them 
that I found super helpful and that we will use in a little while here is denial and affirmation. I mean, it's such a simple concept that I could understand it. And uh, it's a tool that I could use to, you know, take some action to do something concrete to shift uh, a thinking pattern. You know, we talked before about how uh, in the unity worldview, uh, our experience of life is all comes down to the contents of our our thinking mind. And we have to ask, what is it, what is it that we're carrying around and repeating to ourselves? And which of those things are not true, which Mr. Fillmore would call error thought. And OK, so once I know that, what do I do? Well, I can use the tool of denial and affirmation. So I make a bold statement that, you know, this way of being is not the truth of who I am or I am not my mistakes. And then follow that up with a, a replacement thought that says, you know, I, I, am, I am made in the image and the likeness of the Most High, for example. And, and just having something concrete like denial and affirmation that, that I could read and understand and sit down and practice um, I'm not sure how much direct effect it had on shifting my consciousness, but my consciousness has shifted. That's what I know. I can't connect the dots necessarily, but, uh, you know, something's working here. You know, and I think all of us have these aha moments, and then we have all these subtle changes that we have no clue of when and how it happened. And it talks about that in the recovery literature, how others can see the change in us before we can notice the changes within us. And, um, you know, I was told that, you know, all I have to change is everything. Mm, right. <laughs> and I, I didn't, didn't like that. I didn't either. And I didn't really understand what they meant by that. But I came to understand that it's ideas, emotions, and attitudes, basically. And that um, I was seeking to change my worldview from me-centric to other-centric and not in an unhealthy way. I'd already done that. That's called codependency when I'm all worried about <laughs> everybody else except for me. But 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 as far as focusing on – and that's where my error thoughts tended to land is um, you know, on the, the egocentric, me-centric, self-centric types of thoughts. And so when I learned to start catching those as they would go through my mind, then I had the opportunity to make a different choice about it. I don't want to entertain that thought. You know, that thought is not who I am. That thought does not describe my world. That thought is not where I want to live. And I can choose a different thought. Yeah, what, I, what I'm hearing is you challenging the truth or what you may have assigned truth to that thought and you're challenging that idea uh, instead of just letting it happen uh, without um, being aware of it. What I'm hearing is that you're saying, no, uh, it's not like that and calling it out. And that, of course, is when change and healing can happen. Um, I, I have found this whole process to be um, you know, often a, a two steps forward, one step back kind of experience. And I've had that experience with using tools like denial and affirmation. You know, maybe I do it and then I feel better. And then I think, oh, you know, great, I've, I'm done with this thing. And then I find out, well, no, not really done with it. But then later I see, well, I did make some progress and it's two steps forward, one step back. But the upside of that, of course, is that uh, if when I do the math, I'm still one step ahead. Even if I took two forward and came one back, I'm still making progress. And as we say, that's what this is all about. Progress, not perfection. We're not looking to be done. Uh, we're just looking to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And 
you know, having this experience uh, that we call life and having that life experience be wonderful um, experience, you know, a joyful, happy and free, as we say, that's what, that's what it's all about. So even if I have noticed, even if I experience that I make progress and then I feel like I'm falling back a little bit, that's how it works. And that's okay. For me, I found out that, you know, it, it seems like this occurs in layers and we've talked about the layers of the onion before to get down to the center, the core of who we are. Um, and I, and I found that these tools assisted me with number one, changing my behavior, um, because that was pretty well prescribed. Do this, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And, but the next thing, the thoughts, which we've been talking about, you know, the thoughts held in mind is what dictates what the choices that we make really. Uh, but underneath that, are another type of thought, and those were the motives. You know, why am I saying what I'm saying? Why am I doing it? Because I can make my my uh, behavior, my my words and actions match, and I can bring my thoughts into alignment to some degree. But if underneath my motives are out of alignment, if I'm still trying to be manipulative, but being nice about it, mm-hmm. or you know that kind of thing, I'm not growing, and I'm still put making messes out of my relationships and stuff. And so then underneath motives for me is, and it's where my work still lies today, is in my belief system. The belief that the world is not okay just the way it is right now, for example, on a macro level or, or something that's happening in my life on a, on a micro level that is right the way it needs to be or that this is not the way it needs to be. It needs to be changed. If I hold a belief system around that, that's what causes me pain. And it talks about that in the literature when it says some of us have old ideas and the result was nil till we yes. let go. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the Buddhist idea of attachment causing pain. Yes. Today, all of my work lies in this realm of what do I believe? What am I attached to? You know, what do I continue to hold on to? As you spoke earlier about most of the work of recovery is release. Yeah, it's letting go. And as you shared, I got this image of, um, you know, what we don't want to do is spray paint the rust, right? Because it may look like it's better for a short time, but all we've done is kick the can down the road, right? The, the, it's still, the problem's still there. It's probably getting worse. I just did something that helped me pretend that I was uh, addressing it, but haven't addressed it at all. And yeah, this this letting go um, that's how I've seen this unfold in my life. And I like how you said a few minutes ago that these steps six and seven, this is life. This is what we do on an ongoing basis. You know, we kind of circle through this, um, examining what's going on, what's not working, you know, what is my part in something that's not working for me? And then uh, using the tools that we have to uh, let it go, you know, to shift that thinking. And then, of course, enjoying the benefits of no longer having to carry that around. You know, once again, they, if angels can fly because they take themselves lightly, I've just, I've just jettisoned something heavy and I'm, I'm that much lighter and life becomes a process of continually doing that. And so if someone asked me, you know, how does this step six and seven work? You know, that sort of be my roundabout answer as well. It, it goes in a loop and you starts with awareness and willingness and then you let go and things change and you repeat and life gets good. <laughs> Rinse and repeat. <laughs> over yes, and over exactly. Again. That's right. And, you know, um, I know that we're not talking about step 11 where we concentrate on this conscious connection with a higher power that I call God. But prayer and meditation are key for me because otherwise I'm left trying to figure it out 
in my intellectual mind. And there are so many things about the world that don't make logical sense that that may make sense on a metaphysical level or they may make sense on an emotional level or some other level that I'm either unaware of or don't want to mess with. Mm -hmm. But, you know, being able to to take time to pray about it, which is releasing it for me, it's releasing it to the powers that be, um, and spend time in meditation, which is the connection with, not just with my higher power, but with whatever's in my, whatever needs to arise from wherever it comes from, my subconscious, my unconscious, my whatever, the ethers, I don't know what term you want to use, but I know that when I do that, things change. I get different ideas. I have new solutions. I have um, a concept that I had never thought about before. Things start happening when I bring in the spiritual tools of prayer and meditation. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that, that of course, is a key tool for, for personal transformation. And again, you know, it, it begins with, uh, begins with awareness, because that's what a uh, you know, a kind of mindfulness meditation that we do um, allows us to experience, and then everything from that point can unfold. Not not necessarily just going to happen uh, quite yet, but I can't do anything without awareness. I can't have acceptance if I'm not aware. Uh, but once I can become aware and accept, and then uh, be willing to take some action, then things can change. And I found for me another way that this whole um, process worked is that for whatever reason, I really embraced the whole higher power thing. And it might be just that I liked the idea so much that I thought, well, you know, this can't be worse than what I've been doing. And even if, even if it's none of it's true, so what, you know, let me try this and see I've got these people that seem to think that there's something to this, um, you know, much to a much bigger degree than I was at that time early on. And so, well, let me just try it because how awesome is that? And I did. And I found that that, uh, you know, I found it to be true, not exactly in the way that everyone that others said, because I think we all have our own individual experience. But I absolutely found these uh, spiritual principles of God as I understand God, which is different than uh, a lot of churches might understand God. I know that um, the God as I understand God, it works in my life and it is uh, wonderful. And it is a great relief. And I don't have to do everything myself. And I can uh, have a way to effectively let go of old ways of being and take on new ways of being. And, and, and like we keep saying, you know, what we're talking about is moving into a life of freedom and joy. And it works. And it works in steps and stages and layers. And the most beautiful thing about it to me is it just keeps getting better. It keeps getting better and better. That's, that's just how it's been, you know, two steps forward, one step back, but come on, it gets better one step at a time. It works. And you just talked about how your open-mindedness around that and your willingness to try it, even if you didn't know that it was going to work, was key to you getting this new understanding. Yeah. And, and I think that's critical because that's what we've been talking about. So I think we're about to move into action. Do I have that right? Yep. So let's do that. Let's now move into action. Um, Unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. 
which of course means that we each have to take action. And we've been talking about that a lot today. We have to take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do this week to move from your old ways, holding you back to a new life of freedom and joy through this willingness and humility. So you can think of an old behavior that you want to let go of, or maybe it's even a pattern of thought. Uh, Perhaps you want to be more considerate, for example, or maybe to improve your ability to connect with others. Or maybe there's something else that speaks to you. What's important is just to pick one thing, uh, something simple to start with, and to take that uh, thought, that idea, into a quiet time of prayer and meditation, which means we just simply relax, you know, take a breath, take it easy, uh, no need to struggle. Uh, So let's use that example of being more considerate of others. So we would use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial, to deny any power to being anything less than thoughtful regarding others. You could say something like, being inconsiderate is not the truth of who I am. And you'd repeat that a few times in your head or even say it aloud. But say it with conviction. Being inconsiderate is not the truth of who I am. And then we follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience, a new way of being. So, for example, you could say, I'm a loving and thoughtful friend to those around me. And so then we take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. And we don't struggle here either. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. So, again, that denial, being inconsiderate is not the truth of who I am followed with that positive affirmation, I'm a loving and thoughtful friend to those around me. And so we've come to the end of this time that we're spending together here today, and we hope you found something that can help you on your recovery path. We both bless you on your journey. So we want to say thank you to the listeners and callers and to those following Dan on Facebook Live. And thank you so much to Dan for the insights shared in our discussion today. And listeners, if you'd like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. So we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth, and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.